Jacob Burris was murdered and died on July 14, 2017, and this is his mother's story. Hello. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Glendale, Arizona is a suburb of Phoenix and is about nine miles away from the city centre. In 2017, the population in Glendale was about 251,000. Glendale is home to the State Farm Stadium, which has hosted two Super Bowls and is home to the Arizona Cardinals, the NFL football team. You can take amazing scenic tours or drives that can be organized from Glendale for areas throughout Arizona, which can include historic sites like those of Native American ruins or winery tours. These tours can be done in many ways, from Jeep to horseback to cruises. There is also the very special Tolmachoff farm that is operated by four generations. They are obviously dedicated and passionate about their farm and its long history and family heritage. They sell fruits and vegetables, with their goal being fresh from their field to your table. They were pioneers in this area, beginning by selling plums from a roadside stand in the 1970s after selling cotton for many years. Their farm now sells many fruits and vegetables, and they thrive. The largest park in the world is in Phoenix, covering 20,000 acres. Arizona observes Mountain Standard Time all year long, never switching to daylight savings time. Because of the elevation levels in Arizona, they can have the hottest or coldest temperatures in the U.S., their hottest day was 128 degrees, and their coldest was minus 40. What an astronomical variant in temperature. An interesting thing about Arizona is that it is unlawful to refuse a person a glass of water here. With temperatures like that, I believe it. Jacob was born to loving parents Claude and Shari, who met in high school, but went their separate ways after graduating. Shari was reunited years later with her high school sweetheart through mutual friends. Their paths kept crossing, and eventually they began dating and fell back into their easy friendship and love. They have now been together for 35 years, a lifetime of love and happiness and loss and sadness. Jacob was born fifth in his family of six siblings and he was the only brother to his five adoring sisters who often acted like his mother as well. 
What was Jacob like as a young child? What what type of uh, oh temper- my goodness? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he tell was me. a total boy. Oh. Um, huge sense of humor, class clown, super smart. So he would get bored very easily. So mm. <laughs> the teachers had a hard time keeping him in line at times. Yes, you hear that he'd often. Yeah, he did done with his work early and, you know, want to go talk and joke around with everybody else. Mm, but they weren't done their schoolwork yet. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with bright, yeah. that's what I was going to say. With bright children, you often hear that because they get their work done so quickly and they think, you know, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to socialize now, but the rest of the class yep, is still yep. working. So they can be, uh, yeah. And so did he have a good relationship with his teachers uh, because of this? Or Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, he did. He, yeah, that's yeah. Nice. He he was very well liked, and and we he went to the same school basically kindergarten all the way through to eighth grade. How did he do in high school after that? Um, he again he was super smart, but he didn't always fly himself. <laughs> he got you know bored and distracted really easily, so. Yeah, so it made it difficult. Right. So he kind of dropped out early, and he met the mother of his children. They were about, I think he was 17, almost 18 when he met her. And what type of a father was he? Tell me about him as a father. Oh, he was all about his kids. He, he like, spoiled them rotten. He was, like the best uncle, the best dad. Um, He just loves spending time with his family. And what types of things would he do with them, with his children? You know, going, taking them to the park and going to the lake, going on little road trips or just spending time, you know, we'd all for meals, things like that. Always hanging out at either one of his sister's house or hanging out here being such a loving father he spent many nights with his children and loved having them with him they were always excited and happy to see their dad as well always looking forward to hanging out and playing and doing fun things with each other the children were always close and played together And with their father, who was such a kid at heart, he would just jump right in to any play that was going on. When Jacob's children were five and soon to be six, tragedy struck their family. Jacob and his girlfriend had separated, but he was an active and involved father who took pride in raising his children lovingly, dotingly. Jacob had them in his care on this night. He had the children tucked into bed, sleeping. He and a few buddies were hanging out together and drinking. Shari, his mother, is not exactly sure what happened next. She only knows she got a phone call in the middle of the night and that people are holding back important details of the night that their lives changed forever. She knows that her young grandson woke up, looked out the window, and saw an attack. 
on his father at only five years old. This is the story of Jacob Burris's murder. Tell me about the horrible day you found out um, about the assault on your son and what happened. Uh, it was about 2.30 in the morning. Um, the morning before it happened, he had to work, so the kids were with myself and my husband, dad, and you know, it was a normal day and everything. And he picked the kids up after work, and at the time he was staying at his cousin, um, him and the kid's mom were fighting and split up at the time. And I guess they had been arguing on and off most of the day or the evening. Him and his friends were, after the kids were bed, drinking and hanging out at the cousin's house. And I got a call at about 2.30 in the morning that they were at the hospital. Who was at the hospital, exactly? That Jacob was at the hospital and that they needed his information. I'm like, well, why can't he give them his name and birthday? And that's when he found out he was unconscious. And the doctor came up to me and said, your son has a really bad bleed. There's nothing we can do for him here. We're sending him out to Barrow's Hospital and we don't know if he's going to make it. Oh my goodness, you must have just been devastated at that moment. Yeah. And so I told my daughter that they were going to have to transfer him and I went back there waiting and every five, ten minutes going, why haven't you guys moved him yet? You guys are telling me it's dire. There's nothing you can do, but yet you still have him laying in the bed here. And it took about half hour, 45 minutes, or what seemed like an hour, for them to finally life flight him to the other hospital. Oh, must have been an hour of just excruciating terror waiting for Yeah, yeah. and they, they took him right into surgery to put in the uh, drain tubes and whatnot to start relieving the pressure on the brain and had him and he still was totally unconscious and then they ha- also on top of that had to put him in a medically induced coma and on life support oh my goodness and he was like that for two weeks where they were having problems getting the, the brain pressure down from the hydrocephalus hydrocephalus a condition in which fluid accumulates in the brain and the bleeding and you know not knowing how things were going to go the first time he came they you know finally got him off of of the ventilator and they had him sitting up he was talking Um, they went through the speech therapist and the physical therapist and brought in the different doctors and they were all done with their assessments and we called home and he talked to his kids while the nurse stepped out to get his medicine and all of a sudden my son started yelling what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck and all the machines went off he had an artery burst in his brain oh my goodness right in front of me 
Oh, my goodness. I was with him. He couldn't advocate for himself. He, after the artery burst, he basically had no short-term memory at all. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he was in another medically-induced coma, and they had to do a trach, and then they put feeding tube, and... That must have been devastating to watch this happening to your beloved son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he spent about a month, first month total in the hospital. He went into the first rehabilitation center for maybe 10 days, and all of a sudden he wasn't responding properly, and they... He had gotten some sort of infection in his eye, so they sent him back to the hospital, but they didn't put him in a brain unit. And my husband and I did our, you know, switch out, and I noticed that he was non-responsive. So his swelling came back. So they hadn't done, they were talking about doing a shunt. Cerebral shunts are commonly used to treat hydrocephalus. But they hadn't done one yet. And the shunt, that was another whole ordeal because he had to put, they put one shunt in and that one didn't work right for him. And then they had to do a different one and that one didn't work. And then later on they put in a more complicated system and that helped for a little while. All of these surgeries in a two-month period, surgery after surgery, the shunt failing, Jacob being on life support again and again, being in comas over and over, the agony this mother had to live through is heart-wrenching. And still, she or her husband were there with their beloved son every single day, being sure that their son knew he was loved. When the attack took place and Jacob was brought into the hospital, the doctors had to focus on being sure to take care of the emergency brain issues, operating, saving his life over and over again watching their patient be on and off life support. During all of these life-saving procedures, they missed the spinal cord injury. The blunt force trauma was to the back of the brain, causing these severe injuries. They found the spinal cord injury that there was fluid building up on the spinal cord, and he ended up having to have... uh, couple spinal cord surgeries and every time that they went in and did yet another surgery when they'd come out they'd be they would be telling me that he was a one-of-a-kind patient they hadn't seen anything like it before and that there was never they couldn't give us a prognosis like we'd be going like oh wow you know he he's talking again and then something would happen and to him or they, you know, he, we tried him on some, some foods, but it had to be just pureed and soft stuff. And then they're like, nope, 
he's not going to be able to eat because of his, the way his esophagus spinal cord was. Oh my! So he had just a feeding tube. Yeah, mm. yeah. He basically survived on a feeding tube with some small, like pleasure feeds, with some applesauce or maybe a little bit of ice cream, but he couldn't have a meal. And he was a foodie. He loved his food. From the time he went into the hospital until he passed away, I was with him basically. Sunday evening through Friday evening, 24-7, just stepping out to go to the bathroom or eat. And then my husband was there Friday evening through Sunday evening because he couldn't advocate for himself. Shari had to wait in agonizing worry day after day after day, waiting to see how her son was, never leaving his side advocating for him, always making sure that the right medications were being given. They were taking care of his every need, making sure he was getting his mother's loving touch. Jacob was a character that would do anything for anybody, and they wanted him back. He just was always about doing things for everybody type of person. Oh, that's so nice. You must have been a very proud mom to have such a kind and compassionate young man for a son. Yeah. I bet. During this time, they were so dedicated to their son's medical needs, they couldn't follow what was happening with the police investigation. They were also making sure that Jacob's children's needs were being met as well. All of their emotional energy was already spent and the crisis at hand. They weren't able to be pushing detectives to do their jobs. Immediately after the ferocious attack, the police had come to the hospital to ask questions. Then the family didn't hear anything more. When Claude and Shari had a few minutes, they would call the detectives and ask what was happening. They found out it had taken the police six months after this brutal attack to go and investigate. They took my statements at the beginning and we had to get two different cities involved because the first so-called party was in Phoenix. The second being at Cousin's house was in Glendale. So you had, so, you had to be speaking to two different departments, and of course right. they don't always communicate. But I, we figured out, you know, and I, I I knew that they weren't at a party, that they had been at home. So Phoenix got, you know, out of it right away. Right. And But Glendale, I, the first detective really didn't do anything. So you, they you were disappointed at waited first. like... Yeah, they, like, I think, didn't even question anybody until it had been, like, six months or even longer. You know, I don't even remember when they finally went and questioned. For the first um, time. The downstairs in the neighborhood, the the neighbor. Yeah, it. but it was, they never bothered to go in the beginning about the assault, even. That's crazy. So they waited six you know, months before they even went and spoke to anybody about any of it? Right. <gasps> yeah. And oh then goodness. 
that cop really didn't do anything more. To go and try and find out who did this to their son. To go and ask the people that were at the house that night who had attacked Jacob so brutally that it left him lying there, unable to walk or eat, with a life-threatening brain injury. On his best days, his cognitive functions were very limited. During the brief periods when he could express himself to some degree, he would ask his mother, Why am I here? Over and over again. And his mother, bless her heart, would have to explain anew each time. Because he had no short-term memory, he was living in the moment. Um. So he... He would be asking me, why am I here? And I would have to go over it thousands of times. And then he would ask me again. Oh, and then he had to relive it every time. Mm-hmm. Now, he did not have any memory, though, of what happened, I guess. No, no, he never remem- remembered what, what happened. happened. Having to relive it herself repeatedly having to sit by her son's bed and watch as he struggled to breathe on most days. We brought the kids in, like, a couple times a week, and you could just, he loved watching his kids play, and, you know, we just would turn on, I I bought him a a DVD player that had, like, um, a bunch of apps in it, so we played, you know, YouTube, and he could listen to music and his kind of music, and you know, the kids would just dance around, and you could watch him laugh and just, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so those are the memories that you keep close to heart. Word of mouth is such a powerful tool, so please help us to reach as many listeners as possible and tell a friend. And let them know that we can be found on their favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Morning the Murdered. I want to send a big thank you out there to all of our supporters. You can donate to the Morning the Murdered podcast through Patreon or PayPal at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U- R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your generosity. And now, back to the show. How wonderful these two parents are. They showed their dedication and strength throughout this horribly dreadful period. Toward the end of Jacob's struggle... Even when he had his moments of lucidity, he didn't recognize anyone anymore. His uncontrollable pain was so agonizing, his love for his family, that all medical personnel were in awe of him and showed how tough he was. After battling for two long years, Jacob Burris died of the injuries from this violent beating. Absolutely dreadful. This loving son and father 
who wanted so desperately to hang on and be there to raise his family, continued to be the doting father that he had been all of those years already. He took such pride in his children, and nothing would have prevented him from being there for them, for being actively involved in every aspect of their lives. To be there and watch each of them graduate from high school, to give his daughter away on her wedding day, to be there at the birth of his son's first child. But he had those momentous occasions taken away from him, taken away from his children, and he was taken away from his own parents and sisters and family because someone murdered him. How old were his children when Jacob died? He was he was seven when his dad passed away, and his sister was not quite eight. Uh, my son basically passed away, like, right between their birthdays. His son's birthday is July 6th. His daughter's birthday is July 17th. He passed away on July 14th. The medical examiner went through everything, and his death was classified as a murder. Of course it was. He was beaten to death with a baseball bat. Now the family's fight was about to change. From fighting to be sure their son was having nothing but the best care, the fight Jacob gave for two years to live, to the fight to have the killers brought to justice. The time had now come. Shari started to call the detective, whose name she had been given, over and over. No one was answering the phone, and no messages were being returned. She didn't know what to do. After struggling for all of these years with the hope that their son would live, and the fear that he wouldn't, Shari was trying with everything she had left in her to get answers. How frustrating it must be when you were calling detectives and police officers to get answers about your son's murder and nobody returns the calls. How desperate you must feel as a loved one, as a parent, as a mother. This new set of struggles while you are mourning, after you have had a funeral for your child, just adds another layer to this time of sorrow. Shari was getting to be at her wit's end with it all. She persevered, though. I went to a community event here in Glendale, and they had a police department booth. So I went up there, and I was like, look, who do I talk to? I told them, you know, my situation, the... The guy in charge, the detective in charge of all the detectives in homicide spoke to me and said, well, the person that name I had was no longer in the department and that he would have to see who's been assigned to the case. So that took about a week. And then the officer that got assigned to the case hasn't been any help. He 
then said, well, because I don't know what to do about this, I will send it to the county attorneys. And that's where our case has been sitting so far. Because it took the medical examiner over a year to read through all the medical evidence. It has probably been about nine months now that the county attorneys had the case. So nothing's been done. No charges have been pressed. We are still waiting. Do they have any suspects? Yeah. They do. So they know, they know who, who's involved, but they have yet to truly ask the right questions, you know? Mm-hmm. They're not investigating. They're not investigating. Yeah. So now you're just waiting and waiting for something to be done and nothing is moving along. Now, what do you think? Do you think the police are going to actually do something at some point and investigate this? And I do feel that eventually there will be charges brought. I don't think it's going to be nearly what it should be, honestly, after all of this, because the fact, you know, that they didn't do any investigating in the beginning. So a lot of it's just going to be going off of the medical evidence and then trying to get these people to talk. Technically, aggravated assault that that ends in a homicide is entitled to a first-degree murder charge depending on what that person went through. Do you call them and ask what's happening? um, I I belong to a group of uh, Arizona Voices for Crime Victims also. So I I go through them, and I had just had a new call in right before everything went on quarantine. So right now we're at a standstill. This family was told many different things as they investigated the murder of their son. They began trying to get answers and trying to find out what happened to Jacob. One person said that they were out at a bar and a stranger killed him. Someone else said he got in a fight. They heard that he fell and hit his head. Shari had a gut feeling when stories started to be told that something was not quite right. Something was happening that didn't make sense and that people knew more than they were saying. Jacob was murdered and they wanted answers. Finally, While questioning people and getting frustrated and hearing nonsense, their grandson spoke. This poor, dear, sweet little fellow. We didn't find a lot out until probably six months, a year later. That it was the, the guy that lives across the street who knows my son. And we also found out that my grandson witnessed it. Oh, no. Yeah. Because we were told that the kids were all sleeping and in the house, but my grandson said, well, I heard yelling, woke up, looked out, and saw this man hit his dad with a baseball bat in the back of the head. That is horrible. And this was the boy that was five years old. Yeah. Shari began working as a detective herself. She was compiling many facts, facts that were corroborated or fell in line with the medical examiner's report. 
but not yet enough truths for there to be an arrest, even though they all know who the barbarian was that murdered Jacob. She passes along all of her information to the police. Lucky them. She knows that after the attack, the buddies all waited two hours to seek medical attention. They waited almost two hours before they even took him to the hospital. Oh, my He goodness. was basically carried inside, put in bed, and then they were like, oh, he's not moving or waking up. Maybe we should do something. Oh, and those valuable two hours, you don't know what could have happened during those two hours if he had emergency medical care, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, it was just a whole, a complete roller coaster ride because he'd be doing so, so awesome in therapy, and then all of a sudden, like, the shunt would fail, and then that's when we thought that the shunt was putting pressure somewhere on the nerves and causing his legs to get weak because, like I said, he was up and walking right. with help, but he was walking. And then all of a sudden, he can't move his legs. They only thought it best to do so after realizing that he was not moving, that he was not waking up. Two hours he lay there in a coma in critical condition with a mortal brain injury that was so urgent he had to be airlifted to another hospital to get brain surgery. And still, they didn't even call an ambulance. They drove him to the hospital. Those precious wasted hours. It is time for them all to do the right thing and tell the truth. Give the necessary eyewitness accounts and testimony. Give some peace to this family. Give some peace to these two fatherless children. Give some peace to Jacob. How has it affected you and your family? Um, there's been, like, I would say a lot of animosity in some ways because one wants this to be, you know, someone wants to be in denial about some of it my one daughter, and they tend to argue about those last moments and the would-have, could-have, should-have, and that's hard to listen to and deal with sometimes. And then, like, his son has had such a hard time. We even had to hospitalize him in that first year after his dad passed away because he was so angry and so traumatized by everything and we we put his kids in counseling right away after it happened excellent we didn't even know at that time you know that um jacob jr had witnessed it you know but we knew that this wasn't normal and dad they were gonna have a hard time so we got them in counseling right away but he was struggling in school he was would sometimes, like, he started bullying kids, you know, because he's thinking, well, the person that hurt my dad's getting away with it, so I'm angry at the world. Nothing's going to be done if I'm bad. Right. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Children are the most precious victims in all of these things because they 
can't quite understand what's happening, but they know something bad is happening. And how are they supposed to express themselves at that age? What would you tell other grieving parents out there and people who have had a homicide in their family? What would you tell them as sort of words of wisdom or support? You need a support network, definitely. And not everybody's going to understand you. Right. And you can't, unfortunately, you can't take everything personally. Even though it feels, it is personal. People mean well, but they often... mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes it, it harder on you. And just know that, you know, there's no amount of time that you have to worry about because you, you're not going to get, people are going to say, oh, shouldn't you be over it by now? Or, you know, well, we don't want to see bad any, you know what I mean? Mm. You should be living your life and those kind of things. But no, it's your life you do what you need to do and what you feel necessary but also remember to take care of yourself also yes very good advice very good advice yeah and so what do you do to take care of yourself I well I was going to the gym until (laughs) (laughs) of course everything happened I had started going and doing like water fitness and things like that because I have really bad fibromyalgia and osteoarthritis and I was had doing really well I had gone a year straight (laughs) congratulations that's hard to do that's motivation let me tell you yeah and I also found a um spiritualist church that I'm involved with good and that has helped right so for you you found that a support group helped for sure and spirituality, yeah. whichever it may be for somebody and yeah. exercise. Those are things that yeah. have helped you. Those are, yeah, those are look mind, yeah. body and soul, right? So you're, yeah. you're and getting family. it all and family, of course, of yeah. course. And family. Yes. Oh, that's great. After an attack, a victim could die instantly or live an hour, a week or a month. Because Jacob lived two years, there is a sense that his case has been shelved. That is just unacceptable. It must be so horrible for the family to have to suffer through the reality of their child's murder through a brutal attack and know that there is no arrest. The family had to watch their son's ups and downs for two years all of the medical crises that were happening to their wonderful only son sitting at the hospital for 700 days. That in itself is a testament to their deep devotion as parents. These parents having to live apart from each other for two years must have been so challenging as well. But they did it. They left their home and took their shifts at the hospital taking up residence there, ensuring that their precious child was never alone, brightening up his day by bringing his children in. During these times, they could see Jacob's eyes following his son and daughter and some light shining and a sparkle in his eyes, even if only briefly. They are inspiring, devoted, selfless. The emotional toll it must have been, the challenges they faced, 
are inconceivable. There has been discord in the family, as it is quite typical after a tragedy. Everyone grieving differently. Everyone having different ideas on how the police should proceed. Having a hard time leaning on each other, as you yourself are unable to be leaned on, but instead need to be leaning. Your heart goes out to the loved ones of murder victims. The police had two years to gather evidence, arrest suspects on attempted murder, and then change it to murder when Jacob died. But instead, it seems as though nothing has moved along. The family hears little to nothing from the police. Lucky for this family that Shari will continue to be out there fighting for truths, trying her best to get answers herself, trying to get justice for Jacob. You did a fantastic job, and I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with me on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one. And let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain. But surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E. M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.